Alright, cool. So, uh, I'm gonna kind of steal uh, the thunder for a second, just kind of explain what went on. Give everybody a biblical basis for it, okay? Because some of us didn't necessarily grow up in churches that embrace the gifts of the Spirit. Some of us grew up in churches that embrace the gifts of the Spirit too much, and it was way weird. So, um, in 1 Corinthians 14, um, in verse 26, it says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done to edify. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that of course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. Um, if anything be revealed to another that sits by, let the first hold his peace. For, for you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. Um, so just a little bit of a biblical basis for what happened tonight. So you got, and even too, like what happened last week. Um, so you guys kind of see where it's at in Scripture, because I think that that's really important. Um, we've had some churches be so far on the right side when it comes to sticking to church doctrine and tradition that we've lost how to follow the Holy Spirit, and then some churches that fo only follow the Spirit and, and therefore let way too many other spirits get in between them and God and what's going on, and things just get really occultic really quick. Um, so we're just going to break this down. Everyone comes with a psalm. You know, we look at our worship leaders, they come with songs. Uh, or a doctrine, which is a teaching, or a tongue, which uh, tonight it was Corinne and Josiah that had them. Uh, a revelation and an interpretation, and let all the th things be done and edifying. Um, later on it says that whoever has a tongue, uh, let one person interpret it. So, like, for instance, when Corinne gave her tongue, Savannah had the interpretation for it. My first one, actually. Hi. Yeah, that so, was, that was really great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was um, pretty dope. And then Josiah had the other tongue, and then Corinne interpreted it. And then in between that, Matt got a word from the Lord, a prophetic word, and released it, right? So when the people speak in tongues, let it be done by two, and at the most three. So how many did we have tonight? We had two people speak in tongues. Each had an interpretation. So it was done according to Scripture, right? Cheers, uh, guys. So that's awesome. Snaps. Snaps. So just so you guys know, going forward, when things like this happen... Uh, I, I think that there are special graces for nights that are dedicated specifically to worship and prophecy where we can do more prophetic words and more tongues should the Lord lead us. But on a day-to-day, -day, like meeting-to-meeting, -meeting, regular Saturday night level, it's always going to be done by two or three, and then that's it. And that's why even still, on some nights where we're like trying to pray for everybody and getting everybody out of here, even later on in the chapter it says, let the prophets prophesy by two or three. So when we give prophetic words over people who are in the chair, we can encourage people with our words all we want. I'm never against that. But when it comes to like a legitimate prophetic word from the Lord, it's two or three, and then we're done. Because uh, the Lord wants to love on the person who we're praying for, but He also wants to love on the next person too. 
And it's okay to save your prophetic word to give it later if you need to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want you guys to feel discouraged if you didn't, if you feel like you didn't get enough words. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't feel discouraged because, let's be honest, if you're looking to get a bunch of words and just jot them down, that's not really you looking at a relationship with the Lord. That's you being codependent on what someone else is is doing for you in the Lord by giving you more and more words. Um, which is unloving. Which is unloving, yeah. And you're not having your own relationship with the Lord. So we want to kind of just, not that anybody's done that like since since this has been a church, but uh, just kind of squash it. Because I know that when we were a young adult group and when we were a youth group, that was something that happened in the past. Um, so even just going forward, just laying that out so that we're all just kind of aware, especially since like the people who are here are typically the people who come every week. And so I would consider you guys like the core people. And so like as other people come in, you know, we want to make sure they all kind of know what's going on a little bit and just keep encouraging them. So uh, I wanted to explain that. The other thing that I wanted to ask is uh, while we were praying against the depression and the anxiety and stuff like that, how many of you guys um, either felt your hands get really hot or really cold? Raise your hand. Two, three, four. So one, two, so about five. Um, so how many of you guys actually felt something shift in your body or your perspective change as we were praying? Anybody? Raise your hand. That's Maybe okay. Monica's hand felt warm. Monica's hand was like burning on my back. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> 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 These are always warm, so yeah. Cool, awesome. Um, so I just wanna I wanna encourage you guys, like coming to find out where your giftings are and where your anointings are. Um, for the people who had the sudden, sudden like changes in temperature in your hands, typically that's a sign of the Lord and an anointing um, working through you and on you. That's the sign of the Holy Spirit working. Um, that does not mean that your prayers are any more effective than anybody else's. That's not what I'm saying at all. The reason why I bring this up is because I want you guys to start learning how to recognize when the Lord is on you so that you can actually turn your attention to Him and learn to co-labor and actually ask, okay, if you're on me right now, if I feel your presence on me, what am I supposed to do next? Is there somebody that needs prayer? Do I need prayer? Do I need to um, come before you with something? Like uh, More often than not, when I'm praying for people, my hands get super duper hot, super duper hot. And if I need to have private time alone with the Lord, my ears get really hot. And the Lord's, it's, it's almost as if he's like pulling on me and he's like, come here, come here, I got to tell you something. So I'm like, all right, I got to go. Um, now that doesn't mean that we govern our relationship with the Lord by our experiences Okay, experience does not dictate relationship but what happens is the more we grow in our relationship just like with my wife the more I grow in my relationship with my wife the more experiences I have with her Okay, but if I govern our relationship on experience alone I'm going to be very unhappy and I'm going to be chasing I'm going to be chasing experiences and signs and wonders that mean nothing and add nothing to my value rather than actually just pursuing her in relationship. So I want to encourage you guys, um, no matter what, no matter what happened tonight, like as you're looking to figure out where the Lord is at um, in your lives and just learning to recognize His anointing on you and stuff like that, no matter what, don't pursue the feelings. Don't pursue the experiences. Pursue Him and the right relationship with Him. And just turn your ear, turn your eyes to Him and just 
just see if something does happen. It doesn't mean that you're chasing the experiences. You just learn to notice when he's there. Um, he's always there, but it's always good for your faith to kind of be like, oh yeah, there's, yeah, there he is. All right, I got, I got what I need to have the courage to go do this thing now. You know, um, if that makes sense. So, uh, any any questions, comments, concerns before we open it up for Matt? No, good. All right, cool, Matthew. Cool. <clears throat> thanks for uh, thanks for kind of laying that out. That was really good. Um, worship time was awesome. Uh, but now we are going to get into our teaching. And uh, tonight we are going to be talking about a teaching. Uh, I'm going to be giving a teaching that I've given probably five or six times before. Um, it's one of my favorites. It really is one of my favorites. Just because um, it, it has given me a lot of freedom. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about the doctrine of separation. And uh, that's something that several people have been asking about recently. Um, <clears throat> I've referenced, I've referenced, uh, I've referenced some things in relation to it in some of my past teachings over the past few weeks. Um, a couple weeks ago when we taught on unloving, we talked about some separation principles. And uh, so we, this week we just kind of wanted to revisit it and hit it hard and just talk about it from beginning to end. Um, actually, we could talk about it for hours upon hours, but we're going we're gonna to give you guys the highlights. And uh, just please, during this, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask questions. Please don't hesitate to uh, bring something to, to our attention um, in regards to the teaching. Like, if you've never heard any of this stuff before, totally fine. If you have, great. Um, but I just really hope that this is a, a really good teaching moment for some people today. Um, and it really goes into what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Um, so before we get into it, I just want to pray, and then we'll just dive in, okay? <clears throat> so Dad, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you so much for um, this opportunity we have to come here as a family and as a group and as a community, and uh, just to fellowship together, to worship uh, to learn more about you and to learn more about how you want us to be free and how you want us to live and walk in this life. Um, and we just thank you so much for how good you are, for how good of a father you are and how much you care for us and how much you want us to be free and how much you want us to be in proper community and fellowship with each other. Um, I just pray that as this word is given tonight, that uh, you would you would speak through me, that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak through me and and uh, give the word that you would have. Um, I just pray for every single person here that um, if the enemy is trying to get in the way to, to hinder their hearing of this, that I just rebuke him right now in the name of Jesus. Um, this, is, this is a safe place to come together and to learn, and that outside influence from, from those spirits is not welcome here. Um, so, Dad, we just thank you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. As he sings in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay, guys, so <clears throat> I think before, before we get into uh, reading any scripture, um, if this is okay with the rest of the people on the leadership team, I just kind of want to uh, talk about a little bit what we have been talking about and what we're going to be talking about over the past several weeks and several weeks to come. So um, <clears throat> leading up to today, we've been talking a lot about um, having proper relationship with ourselves, right? So we had a couple teachings on rejection. We had teaching on unloving. 
um, just talking about how we can have proper relationship with ourself. Okay, and so we kind of hammered that nail home uh, over several weeks, and now we are kind of bridging the gap between that and after next week when Jacob Jacob Gunther is here, he's going to give a teaching on prayer. But after that, we're going to be starting um, a series of teachings uh, related to being in fellowship with other people and being in community with each other. Um, because the thing that the enemy wants to do uh, to make us ineffective for the kingdom is he wants to get us out of fellowship with God. He wants to get us out of fellowship with ourselves, and he wants to get us out of fellowship with other people. Okay? <clears throat> and so we've talked about being in fellowship with God. We did the Father's Love Ministry. We did, you know, all of that stuff we talked about, uh, being in fellowship with ourselves. And now we're going to, over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about being in fellowship with other people and getting into good, proper, biblical community. Um, and that's going to be awesome. I'm, actually, I'm really excited for it. And this teaching really does in many ways, bridge the gap because the teaching of separation is all about separating people, yourself included, but everyone around you from their sin. So the doctrine of separation is when people sin against you, you can understand that that sin is not them. Okay, and so that's all what we're going to be talking about tonight. So um, if you guys... Actually, you don't have to open your Bible to this. I'm just going to read you a scripture real quick that kind of like sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about in the, um, the doctrine of separation. So this is from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. It says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition to themselves. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Okay, there's a couple of important things in this scripture um, that I want you guys to get. In that last verse, in verse 26, it talks about um, that... People can be taken captive by the devil to do his will. Okay? That is uh, a big deal, if you think about it. Um, when this letter was written, Paul writing to Timothy, he's not talking about uh, just regular people. He's talking about people in the church. And so Christians can be taken captive by Satan to do, the will, to do his will. Okay, so that's a big deal. We're going to be talking about that tonight. And the second thing I want you guys to get uh, from this scripture is in verse 25. It says, In humility correcting those who are in opposition. That's, a, that's what this translation says. But in the actual, I have a new King James here. In the actual King James it says, Correcting those who are in opposition to themselves. Um, have you guys ever felt as though you were in opposition to yourself before? Yes. Yeah. I absolutely have. I absolutely have. And uh, so just think about what it feels like to be in opposition to yourself and what that might mean, okay, as we get into this next section of Scripture that we're going to read from Romans 7. Um, so if you guys want to turn to Romans chapter 7, this right here is uh, a big meaty piece of the teaching of separation. Romans chapter 7, 
starting in verse 15, going down through verse 23. And because I've done this teaching multiple times, I know how potentially confusing this passage of Scripture can be. And so we're going to take it slow. We're going to take it line by line. Um, because there is some really, really uh, heavy stuff in here from the perspective of what it means to be in opposition to yourself, okay? So, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that that I do not practice. But what I hate... That I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. All right, so let's stop right there and kind of kind of break this down a little bit. In verse 15, Paul is saying, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. So basically Paul is saying, The things that I want to be doing, the way that I want to be living my life, I'm not doing it. Does that make sense? The way that I want to be living this life, I am not, that's not how I see myself living. Okay? And he goes on and he says, but what I hate, that I do. So the way that Paul has made up in his mind that he would hate to live his life, that's exactly the things that he finds himself doing. Does that make sense? Okay? So in verse 16, he says, if then... I do what I will not to do. So if then I I find myself doing the things that I don't want to be doing, sinning, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, this is in verse 17, but sin that dwells in me. Alright guys, I really want you to to understand the gravity of that statement. Okay? Because Paul says, when I do the things that I don't want to be doing, when I find myself operating in sin, it is no longer I who am doing those sinful actions, but it is the sin that dwells within me. Okay? And so think about that word dwell for a second. Do inanimate objects dwell places? No. No. What is, what is a precursor for dwelling somewhere? You've got to be alive. <laughs> You've got to be alive. You have to be cognizant that you are dwelling somewhere. Okay, so something that dwells, this, this chair that I'm sitting on is not dwelling in this room. But Ron and Kate, residents of this house, dwell in this house. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when Paul is talking about sin... When he says, it is no longer I who do these things, but sin that dwells in me. He is talking about a kingdom of beings that are committing sin through him. So just think about that. We're going to keep reading. Verse 18 says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a, um, a a Southern Baptist church. And that word flesh was used so much, so much to describe our uh, sinful nature. That's just my flesh. We're going to talk about that a little more. 
Um, verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. Okay? For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So he's saying some of the same stuff. He's saying, uh, to, The will to do good is present with me, but I can't find how to do those good things. Okay? Uh, verse 19, For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Again, he's reiterating those things that I don't want to be doing, that evil that I have set my mind against, I find myself doing it anyway. That sounds a whole lot to me like being in opposition to yourself, doesn't it? I have felt that way. Have you guys felt that way? As as though like <clears throat> I have I have all these all these intentions of being a righteous man and being being a good husband to my wife and being a good friend and um, being being a good leader and being you know all of these different things to all these different people and I have all of those good intentions and and my will is towards all of those good things but so often I find myself not able to operate in that okay and I, I know that's a super familiar feeling to so many of you people um, you people. I don't know why I said it like that. To so many, you people. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> to you guys. You people. <clears throat> but in that same vein, in that same vein, I have all of these, I have all of these intentions and I have this knowledge of things that I don't want to be doing, right? I don't want to be a passive husband. I don't want to be a passive man. I don't want to be uh, someone who just sits idly by and and uh, lives lives in fear of of other people, what other people think of me. But so often I find myself operating in those mindsets. So often I find myself acting out in those things. Okay, that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying the stuff that I don't want to be living in. That's what I find myself doing. Okay, uh, where are we? Verse twenty. <clears throat> Now, if I do what I will not to do, so if I do the things that I don't want to be doing, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Guys, if you ever see anything in Scripture that is said twice within the span of a few sentences, it's probably important. It's probably important, okay? So Paul reiterates the same thing twice. When I do the things that I don't want to be doing, it's no longer I who do them, but sin that dwells in me. Okay? Um, verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So I'm willing to do good, but when I don't do those good things and I end up doing the evil things, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Okay, do you guys remember the scripture that we read at the beginning? How um, it says in second. What was that? <laughs> Congratulations! Um, how it says in Second Timothy two twenty six that uh, people have been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. That's exactly what Paul said about himself right here. It's exactly what he said. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So I just want to talk about for a little bit how this is even possible. 
okay? Because now we're entering into some territory that people get into debates about sometimes within Christian circles, okay? Um, <clears throat> let's not go there yet. Let's let's go to let's go to Ephesians six right quick. Right quick. Southern minute. Yep. <laughs> yep. What does that mean? It means you're I'll definitely not going to be there just for a minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Learn some new today. <laughs> <laughs> That's why your mom says, I'll beat your sister. And then she's not there. Whoa, wow. Whoa, let's not go there. We don't need to be an accusation. I didn't, I didn't mean it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> It's okay. Okay, so so you guys you guys you guys remember when we were talking about just a few minutes ago um, how how Paul was saying that the sin dwells within him, okay, and only only beings dwell, right? Paul also says in verse twenty three of, of Romans seven that there is another law in his members warring against the law of his mind. Okay, just keep that in mind. Now somebody read for me Ephesians six verse twelve. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Yep. So I would like to submit to you guys that the thing that is warring against the thing that is warring against the law of Paul's mind is that thing that dwells within him is the kingdom of sin. And that that kingdom of sin is made up of these beings described in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what do we wrestle against? What is Paul warring against? It's principalities, it's, it's powers, it's against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Guys, I want to submit to you that there is... An invisible army of darkness that is the host of Satan's kingdom and his uh, his army, his generals, his principalities, his lieutenants and captains and his army. That is the army of sin. That is the army of unrighteousness. That was the exact beings that were influencing Paul here when he's talking in Romans 7. And it is those exact beings that Paul is saying dwell within him. Okay, so now we're getting into some territory where this is debate of can a Christian have an evil spirit, right? That's a that's a age old debate. Um, we can talk about that until we're blue in the face. But that's not even the right question. Okay, the right question is can an evil spirit have Christian? Okay, so when Paul says that he can't control what he's doing. Because he wills to do one thing and finds himself doing the exact opposite. That it's no longer him that does it, but sin that dwells in him. He's got an evil spirit that has taken him captive to do that spirit's will. Just like it said in 2 Timothy. Okay? So, this is what we're talking about. This is the doctrine of separation. Let's turn over to... Uh, Romans chapter 6. Let's go back one chapter. Oh, yes. Let's go back one chapter. 
and we are going to read what's the what's the we're going to read uh, no we're not going to read verse 6 <laughs> that's also relevant but that's not what I want to talk about right now okay we're going to read verse 12 through 14 <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> all right Somebody read verse 12 through 14 of Romans 6 for me. Don't all go at once. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting that members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as is alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Yeah. That's great. All right, guys, I just want to camp here for a minute um, because there's a lot. we got a lot of stuff going on in this teaching right now. So I just want to camp here for a minute and kind of lay some stuff out. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk, about, let's talk about how sin works for a minute. Um, sin first starts with temptation, right? Like it talks in James chapter 1, um, seven steps to sin. Man is first. Uh, drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Okay? So sin starts with temptation. Well, where does that temptation come from? You know? Um, does it come from some... some? Does every temptation come from some, some other individual like yourself? Like, trying to get you to do something? Well, I'm, I mean, maybe. Sometimes, yeah. Like, hey, Matt, you want to try this, these drugs? I mean, that's a, that's a temptation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no! <laughs> that Such that <laughs> that, ne- that never happened to me. I went to Christian school. All I'm gonna say is that people offer me drugs all the time in this neighborhood. So, I, I always tell them no. <laughs> so here's the thing about that, though. To some people, that is a legitimate temptation. To you and I. Probably most people in this room. I don't know. That's not a legitimate temptation because it has that has no bearing over us, right? Okay. If somebody legitimately out on the street offered me heroin, I would not be in any way tempted to even touch it or do it in at all. Okay. That's not a temptation. So a temptation happens when you are uh, when you are drawn away of your own lust and enticed. That is something that happens in your mind, okay? No one ever committed a sin, a, a conscious act of sin, without thinking about it first. Okay, so temptation occurs in your mind. That is exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 7, when he sees a law, warring, a law in his members warring against the law of his mind. And so, <clears throat> this is where we get to Romans 6. Where it says in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. So, I looked up that word reign in the Strong's Concordance. That's R-E-I-G-N, reign. And that literally means to rule as a king. Okay? So, what Paul says here in Romans 6 is, Therefore, do not let sin rule as a king or as a ruler in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Okay? So, people always talk about our sin nature and our flesh. Okay? Our flesh 
is just our body. Our flesh is just our skin and bones. And everything, our muscles, our ligaments, our organs, all that stuff. That's one definition of flesh, is, is that. It's our physical body, okay? That's one. <clears throat> Another definition of the word flesh. So when... We got so many blankets being passed out. <laughs> I'm so distracted. There's like so many blankets. If anyone else needs one, there's a yellow blanket over there. Oh, there's a blanket. It's okay. It is pretty cold in here. because I'm cold all the time. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So, nestle up in my 30 blankets. Yes. Yeah, my side of the bed has like 12 blankets, and Ronnie's like, I should maybe I'll use one. I have so many. All right. All right, back to Romans 6. We're going to talk about that flesh thing here in a minute. Let's let's go back to Romans 6. Okay, so he's saying, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let sin rule as a king in your mortal body. So, it's like we were talking about before in Romans 7. Things that dwell are things that are cognizant and things that are conscious and things that uh, are beings, you know, that are you know living in some, some way, shape, or form. Uh, something cannot reign that is not... To, to rule as a king or to reign is something that a being does, okay? Something that is is conscious and alive, okay? And so when Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. That's exactly what he has done when he's talking in Romans 7, that I'm... I'm I end up doing the things that I don't want to be doing. And therefore, it is when that happens, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's saying, I have let that kingdom of sin, I have let those principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness on high places and rulers of darkness of this world, I have let that army of darkness rule over my members. To, I have let it rule over my body. Okay, And that's when I commit sin. Um, so in verse 13... Well, actually, at the end of at the end of verse twelve, it says, "Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts." Okay, something that has lusts is a being. Okay, inanimate things or concepts or ideas, an idea of a sin nature. Your sin nature does not have lusts because your sin nature is just a concept or an idea. Something that has lusts and desires is a being, okay? A conscious being of some sort. All right, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of of righteousness to God. All right, so think about the word instruments for a minute. What happens with an instrument? Okay, an instrument can be a musical instrument. It can be a medical instrument. It can be any, any form of instrument that uh, produces a desired result by using it. Okay, so what do you do with a guitar? You play it to create sound, and hopefully pretty sounding sounds. <laughs> and you, you use it to, to your desired intent. Okay, and so what Paul is saying here is that our bodies, our members, which members is, you know, when the word says... Uh, the tongue. What is it? What does it say about our tongue? Um, the tongue is. 
Yeah, but it references references our tongue as a member. Um, I, I'll find that it's later. What's that? It's a rudder, like a ship. Yeah, but there, there's a scripture. There's a scripture, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. But it references our tongue specifically, and it calls it a member. Okay, our tongue is a man. That's a slip in my mind. It's not that one. I'll find it. I'll find it in. A, I'll, I have the scripture reference. I'll find it in a minute. Okay, so that's beside the point. Our members. When you talk about our members, that's literally just our physical body. Our hands, our feet, our eyes, our tongues, our mouths, okay? Those are our members. And so when Paul says that we are not to present our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, that means that we are not supposed to uh, make our bodies available to the, for, to the kingdom of sin to manifest itself through us. That's what he's saying. Okay, that's why he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are, under the, for you are not under the law, but under grace. <clears throat> Alright, I want to flip back to uh, a story that we referenced a couple weeks ago in our unloving teaching back in Genesis chapter 3. Yes. Do the thing. Do the thing. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 is super good. It gives us indication as to what's going on. And this, I know a lot of this stuff that we've talked about, I was like, man, what is, what is going on? <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff going on. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about a kingdom of sin that is made up of principalities and powers and uh, spiritual wickedness in high places and rulers of darkness in this world. Okay, so that's that's the kingdom of sin that is that is ruled and and guided by Satan himself. Okay, he's got his army. That's his army of darkness. His the the kingdom of unrighteousness. All of those beings that make that make it up. Okay, and we've got us. And so there's this interaction between those beings and us. And Paul has like gone through this this whole section of scripture. Where he's like you know. I've got all this stuff I want to do, but I find myself not doing it, and I've got all these things that I don't want to do, and those are the things that I end up doing. But when I do those things, it's not me that's actually doing it. And so we're, just, we're going to talk about how all of that kind of relates, and I'm going to give you guys a really good example of it right here in Scripture. So Genesis chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start in... Let's just read the whole thing. Let's just read. Let's just read the whole thing. So, set stage, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, the serpent enters the picture, da, 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 and this is where we are. So, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Um, <clears throat> sorry, second page. Um, we're going to stop there. Yeah. So you guys get, get the story of what's going on. Adam and Eve in the garden. They're talking to the serpent. The serpent is tempting them to take the fruit. Um, Eve decides that, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll go ahead and do that. Adam being her husband and being her covering doesn't do his job whatsoever uh, he lets his he basically stands by as his wife takes the fruit and he takes it with her and all of a sudden their eyes are open They once they eat it they know that they're naked um, and all of a sudden they feel all of these emotions of sin of, of shame and fear and guilt and all of this stuff that they had never experienced before emotionally and there's all of these like feelings that lead to actions, the actions of, of going and hiding from God in the bushes of the garden and creating for themselves coverings to cover up their nakedness, um, which is, is a dramatic shift if you think about it because the last verse of chapter 2, Genesis 2.25, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So what happened between... Chapter 2, verse 25, when they're naked and unashamed and they're happy and they're doing their thing in the garden and everything is, is all well and good. And the point where they're all of a sudden feeling shame for their nakedness. They're feeling fear of being found by God so they, to the point where they hide from Him and they make clothes to cover themselves up. And they feel guilt and they feel um, all of these different things. What happened? What happened? Um, and I think... Uh, we have an indication of exactly what shifted right here in verse uh, 11. So, start, let's, go, let's go to verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now listen to, the, what, to what God says. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? So he didn't say, how did you know you were naked? He didn't say, where did you get this information? He said, who told you? That who references a being, a person of some sort that provided that information to Adam and Eve. And so what I'd like to submit to you guys is that the second that Adam and Eve disobeyed God by taking that fruit and the second that they went into rebellion, they were no longer under the covering and protection of God. And all of a sudden, in that instance, they were open, available, and able to be influenced on a spirit-to-spirit -spirit level by that kingdom of sin that we talked about in Ephesians 6. So when God says, who told you? I'll tell you exactly who told them that they were naked. The enemy did. The enemy did. 
And with that, the enemy was able to speak to them on a spirit-to-spirit level because that information that they were naked didn't come from outside sensory sources, right? They didn't hear it audibly. They didn't see it written down somewhere. You know, they didn't, they didn't just, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those indicators. It was an internal indication, okay? It was an internal feeling and an internal knowing that they needed to feel shame. It was an internal temptation that they needed to fear God and fear Him finding out what they did. It was an internal indication and an internal feeling of guilt for them being in disobedience and rebellion. That's a stark difference between the temptation they experienced from external auditory and visual sensory temptation from the serpent himself, right? All of a sudden, all of these sins were... were uh, being being thrown at them internally. That's the only way they could have that knowledge. That's the only way they could be tempted to, to do and feel those things that they did. And so what I'm submitting to you guys is that when God said, who told you, God knew that at that point their, their spirits were unprotected, that the enemy, because he has this army of darkness that's invisible, that is made up of spirit beings, could now speak to them and communicate to them on a spirit-to-spirit level and tempt them with sin internally via spirit-to-spirit communication. Does that make sense? That's the only way that's possible. That's the only way it's possible. Okay? So, if that is the case, if that is true, then that means that when people talk about our... You know, how, how uh, in Romans 1 it talks about how uh, through one man's sin, sin entered the world and with it death. So through one man's sin, that man became influenceable by the kingdom of sin spiritually. And so because of that, every man after him, all of us, because we are all descendant of Adam, every man after him was now open and influenceable, we are able to be communicated with on a spirit-to-spirit level by the kingdom of sin and the spiritual beings that make it up. Does that make sense? And because of that, because of that communication, because of that internal temptation that we have um, spiritually, in our spirit, um, that is where sin comes from. Um, If you look at Mark chapter 7 real quick, verse 20 through 23. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, I'm turning. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23 says, this is Jesus speaking. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. So guys, we have so many indicators here. We have so many things pointing to the fact Paul says it in Romans chapter 7. 
We have an indication from, from God Himself speaking to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We have Jesus speaking right here in Mark chapter 7. Temptation comes from within. The only way that we can be tempted from within, the only way we can be tempted with sin from within is the same way that Adam and Eve were. Some being told them, okay, to feel shame. Some being told them to feel fear. Some being told them to feel guilt. And then they acted it out. They responded and acted. Uh, Paul says, you know, when I do the things I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In Romans chapter 6, it says, do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. So, not only does the temptation come from within, and the... uh, the, the enemy in his kingdom of kingdom of sin and unrighteousness have the ability to speak to us and influence us on a spirit-to-spirit level. But like in Romans chapter 6 when it says, do not yield your members as spirits of unrighteousness. When those temptations come and we agree with them, all of a sudden we have said, like Paul says in Romans 7, I, I consent to the law that these evil things are good. Okay, it's it's that I have all of a sudden consent given my consent for the enemy to for those spirits to manifest themselves through me and to use my body to do all of the sinful acts that they want to do. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I like I like to use <coughs> examples. So a good example, super simple example, a super like kindergarten example um, is like, you know, little kids will be, you know, playing and one of them will do something and, you know, one of them will get upset and they'll say something like, I hate you. You're not invited to my birthday party. And like (laughs) stupid stuff like that. I said that when I was a little kid. You're not invited to my birthday party. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) that was like, that was like a really intense threat when you're like five. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was a really intense threat when you're five. Um, but, uh, so in that example, the sin that dwells within, like Paul was talking about in Romans seven, if that little kid has a sin, has sin, the kingdom of sin dwelling within, and somebody does something that makes them upset, instead of doing what God would have them do and forgive, like what, like what would be our natural in, inclination, being, being, uh, beings created in the image of God, instead of that, he has sin that dwells within that says, oh, I don't like what he just did. He deserves retaliation. Like, he, you should not invite him to your birthday party. And the second that that little kid agrees with that statement, he says he has yielded himself. He's, I am, yeah, you're right. He shouldn't be invited to my birthday party. And so that it's thought, more like, how dare he do that to me? Yeah, how, how dare he do that to me? I'll make him pay. And as soon as he agrees with that thought, he has done exactly what Paul says in Romans 6. He has yielded his tongue as an instrument of unrighteousness. And so if it's an instrument, that means somebody's playing it or somebody's using it. So that same exact being that says he deserves to be punished for what he did, that being all of a sudden has the legal right to speak with that child's tongue. Does that make sense? And so 
the way Paul says, it is not I who do these evil acts, but the sin that dwells in me. When that kid says that, it's not the kid that says, you're not invited to my birthday party. It's that being within that has taken control of his tongue that spoke those words. That's it, it's, it's there. It's there in Scripture. When Paul says, do not let... Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. That means unrighteousness is doing the playing of the instrument. Okay? Unrighteousness is doing the movements of the tongue when you speak those sinful things towards someone. And that unrighteousness is that kingdom of sin in Ephesians 6. That's what I'm submitting to you anyways. Um... If you want to turn to Galatians 5. Galatians Galatians 5. So Galatians 5 is a super good chapter because uh, it has all the fruits of the Spirit in it. The fruits of the Spirit are really nice and good. Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Um, But... Uh, it also has the fruits of unrighteousness. Um, so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26, I'm just going to read this real quick. <clears throat> and this is where we're going to talk about that word flesh. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Alright. This word flesh. We started talking about it earlier, and I decided not to. But we're going to talk about this word flesh right now. And I'm going to finish this teaching up right quick, because I know it's late. Um, So, that word flesh has three definitions. I looked up in a strong concordance. The first definition can be the flesh as in the meat and skin of an animal like that you eat. So you eat chicken for dinner, you ate flesh. <laughs> That's the first definition. <laughs> Super morbid. <laughs> but not really. That's the first definition of flesh. The second definition of flesh is our physical bodies. Okay? We like to refer to our physical bodies as our mobile homes. Because we are spirit beings living in, living in physical bodies. Okay? So it's our skin, it's our muscles, it's our ligaments, it's our bones, it's our you know, internal organs, it's all of that stuff. Okay, when you kill somebody, their spirit leaves their body, and all of a sudden it's just a sack of bones. That doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. Fleshy mobile home. Yeah, fleshy mobile home. So that's the second definition of flesh. (laughs) So, 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 so. When it says here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Do you think that word flesh is referring to either of those things? I don't because you're inanimate without your without your uh, without your spirit your physical body is inanimate okay because when you're dead you're not moving you're not anything thank you, Ron. <laughs> yes thank you thank you for that so Moving on. Oh my goodness. Okay, yes, moving on. So, your 
physical body does not have lusts that can be fulfilled. So I submit to you that it's the third definition of flesh that is being referenced to you. And that third definition of flesh is human nature with all of its frailties and passions. Okay? Human nature with all of its frailties and passions. So God created you with an inherent human nature. He created you with a nature of free will. That's how Adam and Eve were able to sin, because they had free will. Um, God created you with a human nature, and He gave you passions, and He gave you desires, and He gave you, you know, uh, He made you frail in comparison to Him. We're, our, our human natures are weak in comparison to God because He is all-powerful and we are not. Okay? He is all-knowing and we are not. Um, so we have inherent frailties in the fact that we are human. Okay? But none of those things are inherently evil. Okay? So it is, it is not our human nature in and of itself that has lusts. The way that it does have lusts is that our human nature, spiritually, is influenceable by the enemy. Because we are frail and weak. Because our nature as a human is frail and weak. And free will. And has free will. Because of that, we are able to be influenced by the enemy. And so, it is not our human nature in and of itself that is evil. It's the fact that our human nature is weak and frail, that God made us not all-powerful, that God made us with free will, and that God did, did give us passions and desires and uh, didn't make us you know, invincible and insusceptible to, to the enemy. Um, that's actually a result of, original, of Adam's original sin, that we are now influenceable by that. So that inherent weakness of our human nature is not produce lusts. It is the fact that we are influenced by the enemy and that that enemy can come and dwell within us like Paul says that creates the lusts of the flesh okay so those lusts are not inherently ours the lusts of the the lusts of the flesh the lusts of our human nature are not inherently ours we do not own those okay they are those of the kingdom of sin, of the principalities and the powers and the spiritual wickedness in high places that war against the law of our mind, that war against the law that is in our members, the law of good that God placed there. So, <clears throat> it is because of those lusts of the flesh, because, when, because of those, when we agree with those lusts that... Um, that agreement, we have yielded ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness, and so comes forth all of these things that are referenced here in Galatians 5. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Again, that sounds like being in opposition to yourself. Um, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Sounds like Paul. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in, in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, <clears throat> that's what happens when we are... Uh, when we are first influenced by the kingdom of sin, when we agree with that what the kingdom of sin says is good, 
Like Paul says, I consent unto the law that it is good. So when we hear temptation internally in our spirit to sin, when we agree with that temptation, we have yielded our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, and now that sin has the ability to act out its desires through us. That is super important. The reason that that is super important is because now you can know that every time you do something that you don't want to be doing, every time that you do something that makes you ashamed and feel guilty, it was not you that did it. Every time that you... Um, this is a good good personal example. Um, every time that I know that there are things that I should be doing around the house, like washing the dishes, and I just sit there on the couch, like looking at the TV or like reading something, and I know that I should be doing it, but I'm not. That's just like what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. I don't have to beat myself up about it, because I know that that's not me that's gluing me to the couch, right? That's that spirit of passivity that is living and dwelling within me, like Paul is saying, that I have agreed with. And it's saying, well, you don't have to do that right now. You have plenty of time to do that. Nah, you could even get to it tomorrow morning. Like, you can just sit here and relax and like, you know, do nothing. Because that's okay. When really I know that my wife really needs me to do those. And like, it's my duty as a good husband and as a good covering to like take care of the stuff that she wants me to take care of and that she needs help with. And so I beat myself up over stuff like that when I realize it after the fact. I'm like, dang it. I really needed to do that and I didn't. And she's like, hey, you didn't do the dishes last night. And I was like, I know. <laughs> I know. And so I beat myself up about it. But what we've got to realize is it was not Matt that was sitting glued to that couch. It was Matt that agreed with the idea that that was okay. And then that spirit of passivity used me to sit there and do nothing because that's what it wanted to do. That's not what I wanted to do, but that's what it wanted to do. And so it used my body to do it. Can I do a side note? Yes. Um... Spirits, when they are not manifesting through a person, they are, cannot manifest themselves. Right, yeah. And so they are in torment because fear needs to be fearful. And it's in torment when it can't be fearful through a person. Yep. Because they are spirits. They do not have a body to enact the things that they so desperately want to enact to. Um, so one of my favorite things to say when I'm repenting and dealing with stuff, I said, it's my turn to be in peace and your turn to be in torment. Yeah. Um, because Ooh. when it's in us, it's in peace because it gets to do the things that it wants to do. When it's not in us, it's in torment and I'm in peace. Yeah. So I'd rather be in peace. Yeah. So <laughs> an, even, an even better example is, is a yeah. more uh, visual one. So like um, <clears throat> there, there are spirits within the kingdom of sin whose only inclination is to be murderous. Like So there are spirits of murder. And a spirit, because it is, does not have a physical body, it is a spiritual being, cannot murder anyone without the help of a human. And so it needs to manifest itself through a human in order to get what it wants and commit murder. 
Okay, so the only way that it gets what it wants is it talks to you and influences you and speaks to you until the point when you finally agree with it and you say, yes, I want to murder that guy or whatever. Like, I've never thought that in my life. <laughs> but I want, he deserves to be murdered. And the second that you agree with that, that spirit has a legal right to do whatever it wants with your body and it can now be the murderous being that it always wanted to be and needs to be to fulfill all of its sinful desires. That's super intense. But like, none of us here are murderers. But we can apply this on a practical level to our lives. And so the reason, okay, let's kind of sum this up. The reason we were, we were talking about this today is because we are moving forward into a time where we want to build community and we want to build relationships with other people, right? A cornerstone of having proper relationships with other people is forgiveness. And you can so much easily forgive people if you realize that when they wrong you, it is not them that wronged you. It was a spirit being manifesting itself through their body that wronged you. Okay? It was a spirit being that took over that person's tongue as an instrument of its unrighteous desires that spoke those hateful words to you. Okay? It was a spirit of passivity that that person agreed with that took over that person's body and did not text or call you back when you really needed it to, when you really needed that person to. It was not that person that failed to do that. It was that spirit living and dwelling in them and manifesting itself through them. So you, if you kind of talk about this, you'd be like, well, if that's the case, then... <laughs> I've never committed a sin because it was never me. That's not true. Because the second that you agree, the second that you yield yourself to that spirit and say, I, I, I agree with that fearful thought. The second that you agree and yielded yourself to a spirit of fear, that is counted to you as sin. That is when you are in rebellion against God. Because you have agreed with something that is contrary to what is in his word. So every time you agree with sinful thoughts, that's counted to you as sin. You can be tempted by sinful thoughts all day and never agree, never agree with them. And, you, and you're not sinning. But the second that you agree, you agree with something that goes against what's in God's word. And you are now in sin. And so it's at that point when you, know, this, you become in sin that... Those spirits have rule. Those spirits can do whatever they want through you because you've agreed. You've given consent. You've signed the permission slip, essentially. Hey, Matt. Yeah, man. Is uh, every sin a transgression? What? No. no. Mm-mm. Oh, can we um, do some explanation? No. Transgression. Is there... Attack, man. Go, Ron. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. So, in the Old Testament, there are three types of sins in the Bible. Are there, there's, Ronnie? There's, Tell us more. Okay. There are, um, there's a regular sin, there's transgression, and there's iniquity. Now, if you look at the definitions of all of those, sin, the word sin in and of itself, all it means is, it, it just means to miss the mark. 
Yeah. Okay. So when you think of sin, sin could be a known sin, but more often than not, it's something that you didn't necessarily realize you were doing. So like, um, something that's like a no-brainer. Like for me, growing up, uh, and watching my parents and how they do their relationship, they don't ever talk about anything. My dad told me a long time ago that it was better not to talk to your wife about certain things so she never worried about it. Come to find out, that's not how that works. So I was in sin. Snaps for that. But, but I didn't realize it because it wasn't necessarily something that was completely like, this is in the Bible. Talk to your wife about everything. Like, it's implied in certain places, but it's never like, written out. You know what I mean? So like, I was missing the mark. I was in sin. Now, a transgression is a sin committed against a known law of the Lord. So for instance, the Ten Commandments. Anytime, I, let's, like, let's just be honest, I'm sure that almost all of us at a certain point didn't honor our mothers and fathers, right? Uh, like, let's just be honest, we all rebelled at some point. Uh-huh. That was a transgression. Their moment right now. <laughs> because we rebelled against a a law of God that we knew about at some mm-hmm. unless we weren't unless we weren't raising Christian households, in which case it's a little bit different. But even then the law still stood, right? You're still judged by the law, that's what it says in Romans. Um, but now that we are Christians, when we don't honor our mothers and fathers in the Lord, because there's a condition there, they have to be, their wills have to be in the Lord for us to honor them. Amen. In the New Testament, it doesn't just say honor your mother and father, it's, it says honor your mother and father in the Lord. So in order to honor them properly, their mm-hmm. wills have to be based in what the Lord wants. Oh, there's nothing honorable there if they're not walking in the Lord, just like there's that's another thing. It's another bag of chips. We're going to close that. We're going to go back to the uh, original discussion. Transgression is a sin against a known law of God. So anything that's deliberately written out in Scripture, you might say, well, I didn't know about it because I haven't read that far into the Bible. It's still transgression. You got a Bible. You can open it up. You can read it. You can get there at some point. You know what I mean? Like, it's there. Um, An iniquity. Now, when you study iniquity, there are two different words for iniquity in the Bible. Uh, One of them has roots that you can trace back. Essentially, when you combine all of the meanings of all of what iniquity is, it is a sin that has been repeatedly passed down or repeatedly done by um, multiple generations. And it becomes witchcraft, yeah. Uh, And what happens is iniquity, the definition of it, is a sin that's passed down and twists and distorts the image of the one committing it. So we're all made in the image of God, right? Okay. We're all made in the image of likeness of God. But there are children born with diseases. Mm -hmm. A disease isn't in the image and likeness of God, is it? Yeah. No. So what happens is that child is born with a disease because the generations before that child mm-hmm. all committed the same line of sins that caused this disease. Mm-hmm. And so it twisted the image that that child was made in. The genetic makeup. The genetic makeup. 
ipso facto producing a child that was not is still made in the, in the image of the Lord, but that image is twisted a yeah. little bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? So going back to my original question, because uh, I didn't answer it, but us just going to what he said. I was talking about just like the the sin man, the the struggle against the flesh that Paul points out, um, and how we willingly and unwillingly partner with things sometimes, like passivity on the couch, not doing the dishes. Yeah, that, that's real, bro. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> well, that's why I asked. Like, we have a Bible. It, like, yeah. it says idle hands. What is it? Idle hands lay a man to waste or something. Or basically, don't be, don't be lazy. Um, and that's what I'm asking. Is like, it is all. Is it the transgression is always a sin? But if it's the sin man we're dealing with there. Is that always a transgression against God's word? Because that you just said it yourself, it's the it's the Bible. Well, no, because not all not all things that are are that would be sins are directly written out in the word. Like for instance, passivity. Passivity is a no no, right? But the spirit of passivity isn't necessarily pointed out directly in the Bible. Right. So to say that me sitting on the couch being lazy and not doing the dishes for my wife is a transgression would be a lie, because it's not explicitly in the word. So all transgression is sin, but not all sin is transgression, and not all sin is iniquity. In order for it to be transgression, it has to be very clearly laid out in the Word, and in order for it to be iniquity, it has to be something that is consecutively passed down for generations, and distorts and twists things. And what's trespasses? Trespasses? Mm -hmm. That's just another word for, like... I messed up. Yeah, you done messed up. (laughs) It's another word for sin, like missing the mark. Okay. Because you trespass against... What should have been done correctly? Okay. Does that I make sense? Off a little bit, but thanks for answering. Yeah. So, all right, you're yeah. done. Tag. <laughs> uh, something that's actually interesting about that, uh, with the the definition of iniquity, like you pointed out, um, how it's like something that's passed down generation to generation. Uh, the word actually says that iniquity was found in Satan. He was the first. He's the father of all iniquity. Yeah. yeah. And so, like. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> so, like, through, through him, through his influence on humankind, through his, you know, his army of darkness, he was the father of all of that. Yeah. He was the source of all of it. And so, that's kind of, it doesn't make you feel very good. But That's why Jesus called out some of the Pharisees, and he was like, you're the son of your father. Satan. Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean, that, that makes sense too, like, even when you think about it, because Satan was made in the image of God to some extent too, because angels are, right? Yeah. He's originally an angel. He totally. Was a, he was a, a seraphim, right? Which is like. Worshipping. High up there. Yeah. You know, that's a covering that's a cherub. Thing. But. He was the father of iniquity. Iniquity was found in him, which means that that image of what angelic beings were supposed to be got twisted Twisted. and distorted. And, like, boom, he produced more angels after his own... Well, not... He did not reproduce them, but he took them and then turned them into what he was. Right. Here we are! The hell's angels. Oh, my. (laughs) So, (laughs) so... There's a lot of different things that I hope you guys glean from this teaching, but moving forward into what we're going to be talking about 
over the next several weeks and like building a strong community here, building a family here. Uh, one of the main things I want you guys to glean from this is that the reason that Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we wrestle not against each other or we wrestle not against ourselves is literally because when other people do stuff to us or when we are in opposition to ourselves or with other people, it's not we're not actually in opposition to other people. We're in opposition to the stuff that's working in them. Okay, so there's this there's this great thing that uh, I've heard people say that um, an argument or a debate is not you against the other person, but it's you and the other person against the problem. That's what we are working towards. It's you and me working to fight the spirits that are working in each one of us that are playing ping pong with each other, trying to get us to fight. Yeah. And so if we can recognize and understand this teaching of separation, we can understand, okay, I'm not the one saying all these hurtful things. You're not the one saying all these hurtful things. Let's band together and let's attack these spirits because they are just using us and manifesting through us to get their way to say the things that they want to say. I didn't want to say all that stuff, but it did. And I yielded my tongue. So God, I repent for that. I recognize that I yielded to that spirit. And I just say, I'm sorry, I repent for it. I'm not going to do it again. And I cast that spirit out of me and you do the same thing. And then we go on our merry way because we realize that we can forgive each other now because it was never us to begin with. Example. Yeah. It was like earlier this week um, of just being able to talk about these things and be in community with one another. Marriage is a great opportunity to communicate about stuff. Yeah. Um, we both came home from like a long day of work, and I was really grumpy because of stuff that I had allowed to come in through the end of the day. And you were really grumpy because you've just been working your, your tail off and being super diligent and stuff, and you were just tired. And so we both were sitting on the couch, and we both were like, Having, like, I would say one thing, and he would respond in a way that was, like, different. And then he would say something, and I would respond, and I was, like, starting to call a few things out. And we just sat on the couch, and all of a sudden, I don't know who spoke it up first, but we just said, Hey, we both are kind of feeling this way, so I just want to let you know, regardless of what I say and regardless of what I'm feeling, I love you, and I only want to support you, and I want us to be good. And so no matter what comes out of my mouth, just disregard it and just take that away and just accept love. And, like, you did the same thing. And that was so cool because that disarmed any sort of bitterness that could have come up beyond that. And being able to separate, you know, I might slip up because I'm tired. I might slip up because I'm still working through what happened. Mm -hmm. But I want you to know no matter what I'm saying, that's not my true intention. That's not my true heart. And, like, that is super important to, like, actively speak to people that you're in community with. Because the enemy will speak into silence. And he will make assumptions happen, and he'll make a worst-case scenario happen. And that person's not even thinking about you a lot of the time. And so that was, like, a super cool thing where we were able to stop that in, like, a super practical way. And we ended up having, like, a wonderful game night with each other. Mm -hmm. And God restored that whole evening. Because we just talked about it and said, hey, this is what we've got going on. We're dealing with stuff. Mm-hmm. We might spew, but we're not going to try to spew on you. And if we do, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've been okay. saying this lately, and this is stupid, yeah. but yeah, spray it, don't say it. 
What does that mean? Yeah. Spray like, it. Get it out. Oh. Talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> like, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, so... <clears throat> this... I just want this, this teaching to foster a, a sense of, like, it's us versus that kingdom. Yeah. And especially when that kingdom manifests through other people. Mm -hmm. It's not me against that person. It's me against those spirits. Yeah. It's me against those things that, have, that that person has just allowed to take over. And so, because of this teaching, you can be a whole lot easier on yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. You say, I'm just agreeing with yucky stuff, and it's manifesting through me. I'm not actually doing any of it. But I need to stop agreeing with it and just move on. Right. You know, yeah. it's kind of that simple. Um, so, uh, do you guys have any like questions or comments um, about any of that stuff? I know it's a lot. I know I kind of jumped around all over the place, but yeah. Um, this is like from the very beginning. But can you read Romans seven verse eighteen? Eighteen, yeah. Yeah, just because um, in my translation, I want to do three years, and I this sure. Yeah, Romans seven eighteen says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Like, why is it, I guess, so hard? I mean, it sounds like almost impossible when Paul describes it that way, to, like, will against the sin. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, a lot of times it is really hard. Uh, what's that? It depends on the stronghold. Yeah, so there there are certain things like, <clears throat> especially generational iniquity. Uh, those types of those types of sins do often have strongholds on our life. Like that's like, um, you know, a spirit. Of, like, okay, so on one side of my family, there's a really strong spirit of alcoholism, like mm. real strong. Ooh. Okay. And so, like, literally, you can see it in every generation. And that is something that is so hard to break free from. And, like, because there's such a stronghold there. And that kind of thing takes, like, extra digging, extra deliverance, and extra repentance. Because you're not only repenting for your agreement with it, but you're repenting for your your dad's agreement with it, your grandpa's agreement with it, your great-grandpa's agreement with it. And every time that he yielded himself to that spirit... Like, there's just a lot there. Yeah. Um, it gets, um, every time previous generations yield themselves to it, that stronghold gets stronger. Yeah. But then the other thing to take into account, too, Jesus talks about casting out a strong man, including the house. Yeah. But if the strong, if the house isn't um, filled yeah. with the Holy Spirit, with the Word, like being continuously filled up with the Word, that stuff comes back stronger. But then it brings seven friends that are even stronger than it is after it's been souped up. Yeah. And so um, that's why, like, people who relapse, there's, there's a spiritual issue there. And they get clean, and then they relapse, and they fall into what they were in, no matter what it was, like, seven times harder than they were in it before. Right. And so when it comes to dealing with a lot of this the generational iniquities, um, it's not impossible because all things are possible with the Lord. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens mm -hmm. us. Who will save us from this body of flesh? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, it says right at the end of Romans 7. Like, yeah. it's all, it all goes into <laughs> yeah. it and then it jumps into Romans 8, right? Which is great. Those are great promises that we get to walk out each and every day. Um, 
having said that, the reason why community is so important is because some of these things, some of these iniquities that we work through are so ingrained into our being because of previous generations that sometimes we fall into them without even realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, one thing that I've been realizing more and more, because I've been in this in this battle over the past several weeks to come out of being introspective, mm-hmm. and I've been realizing that I've been introspective because I've been in self-pity, but that self-pity is very much rooted in the principality of, like, an unloving spirit, and just not loving myself enough. And so, like, tracing it back to the roots, even though the roots are the thing that need to be pulled up, they get pulled up by peeling back the armor and peeling back what's on top to get deep down into it. And so it's like, there have been times this week, There's during worship, I was over there, like, in Psalms, looking for explanations about how good God was so I could stop being so introspective and looking at it myself and, and keep looking, like, upward and at Him because that's where all the power is. And, like, it's difficult for me to do that right now. I don't know why, uh, outside of the fact that, like, my entire family on both sides is just drenched in self-pity and unloving. Um, but the more and more I feel, feel that back, the easier and easier it gets to look upward at the Lord um, to help facilitate, you know, like, a lot of the supernatural stuff that happens here. Like, yeah. uh, it's really cool, and that happens because I, I took the time to to get out of me and look up, you know, and mm. like you need accountability, you need community, you need people who are going to uh, come together and come around you so that when you hit a block, whether it's because it's iniquity that like you just have to keep hitting over and over again to get rid of it because um, discipline is a fruit of the spirit and like some things get smashed by repetition and that discipline rather than just the one-time repentance, you know. And then there are other things where it's just like, boom, repent, it's done. Never have to deal with it ever again. You know, so it's like being in community and being tight, tightly knit and, and knowing, you know, this whole concept of separation and being able to be vulnerable and open up with each other, those are the biggest keys that I've seen to getting free from anything. If you can't have that, then the stuff's always going to stay there. Always. And so, I don't know if that answers your question, no, but like... Is, yeah. yeah. Okay, I also think it... I'm sorry. I think it depends on the lens that you read through Romans 7. I think he's not really like, this is what you got to deal with. I feel it as like such a freeing thing. Like, thank goodness it's not yeah. Like, yeah. it's so freeing of, like, this is not me, woohoo, like, let's party, like, <laughs> like, that's kind of how I view it, of, yeah. he's just shining the light on the stuff of, like, rejoice, it is not you, you don't have to sit in shame, you don't have to sit in this condemnation and hate yourself, yeah. you know who your enemy is, and you know how you can go after <laughs> it, now you can go, Yeah. but that's, like, just it's all about how you look at the the lens on how you view things. Right, and that I think that's the lens that Paul's reading too. I mean, you referenced the last the last verses in the chapter, but the last verses in the chapter literally says uh, verse twenty five. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he goes straight into chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so there is so much hope there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, of course, I was always taught, you know, in the church I was at, was just like, <laughs> you're sinful, and, you know, you're a worm. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. <laughs> you flesh and sin, mobile home. You are such a worm. Yeah, so... You know what's funny, though, is that in uh, Psalm 22, it references Jesus being the worm, and if he's really, like, supposed to be our replacement and die for us on the cross so that we could die with him, then the worm died. <laughs> You can go tell them that, the problem. I think it's Psalm 22. It's in the Psalm somewhere. I'd like, I'd like to talk to you about that later, actually. Because that word, that word worm sometimes has very different meanings in the Hebrew. That's that's fair. Yeah. I'm just trying to encourage no, I'm just them that they're not words. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> that they're not worms. Uh, <laughs> we're, not, we're not worms. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely know I'm not a worm. Uh, Becky, did you have something to say? Oh, um, it was Sorry. along the lines of what you quoted the exact verse I was going to say. And if you read the beginning of chapter 8, I always read Romans 6, 7, 8 together. Just yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Context. <laughs> yeah, um, super context. If you read the beginning of Romans 8, that's also very encouraging because it's like, therefore, God did all of this. Yeah. Like, yeah, and like really even the second yeah. verse of that chapter, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So like, it's all there, man. If I, if I can say too, like sometimes things that we, we make things harder than they actually are because we yeah. have a false, uh, there's a lie that we're believing that the enemy's fed us. Like for instance, um, again, coming out of introspection, dang, uh, <laughs> All right, so thanks, thanks. Uh, coming coming out of that, we we get wrapped up in like introspection and like digging for things, and that's why things get hard. When um, the Lord's not asking us to dig for anything, He's asking us to walk by the Spirit. Yeah. And so the more we're focused on walking by the Spirit, the more He'll show us what's wrong. Yes. We can dig it up, yeah. move on, and just keep going forward too. Yeah. Right. So like, it becomes much easier to is, it, as long as we're staying focused on Him, like. Uh, he wants us, he wants us, uh, he doesn't want, want us sin conscious, he wants us righteous, righteousness conscious? Yep. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> and, and just moving forward with him in righteousness, and when he brings up the sin, or when like, one of your brothers is like, hey man, you're doing a weird thing, you can be like, well poop, alright, gotta repent, you know, and then just, just move on from there, like it shouldn't be a big yeah. hoopla yeah. Right. thing. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will add, be added unto you. Not seek first the defeat of sin in your life. Just seek first righteousness. Right. Like, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. Anybody else? Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I almost forgot. Um, so the worm thing went completely over my head. I don't know why... Were you guys preferring yourself? Are you a worm? Okay, so there's there's. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So there's an old song. Okay. For such a worm as I. There's there's this there's this mindset in a lot of today's modern Christian church that we like that we refer to as worm theology and it's basically the idea that 
I am such a worm. I am 100% no good and lower than dirt, like a worm. Like I am, I am so no good. I am lower than dirt, and it is be- is because of that total depravity that I need, I need Jesus in my life. Okay, so that's that is a a doctrine that is in much of today's Christian church. Why? I'm beyond saying that. I always know that. they need Jesus, but they don't know that the Father's good. Yeah. Right. That is anti. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, yeah, so that could be the other thing. We're free. Yeah, yeah. we're here. We're here. It's good. Yeah. I just think of that cute little worm from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> He's all colorful and smiling. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right, guys. Cool. That's it. Cool. We're going to be done. <laughs> <laughs>